Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best panels pertaining to RPG design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show! Episode 47, Playtesting Brutally, recorded at Metatopia 2013, presented by Dave Chalker and John Stravopoulos. So what is this? This is Playtesting Brutally. Excellent. And you are? I'm Dave Chalker. Uh, so I've designed games like Get Bits, Criminals. I've worked on a bunch of RPG stuff like D&D and Marvel Heroic Roleplaying and a bunch of random stuff. Uh, the reason that I proposed this panel was that my game group, my playtest group at home, is an especially brutal one. We're very much into like the simplicity and, and elegance of game and game design and even like reading books and stuff, you know, we've like studied all that stuff and we're very much into the like tear as many things away from your game as possible and get to the core experience. And, you know, we've gone to other game conventions and kind of like done that to other people and they're like, wow, you guys really are brutal. So we, uh, so I believe in spreading the word whenever possible. Awesome. Uh, my name is John, John Sopropolis. I've done a lot of uh, usability testing, which is effectively play testing outside of games, like with products, websites, software, and so on and so forth. Uh, recently, I've been uh, putting together teams uh, to create educational games. Uh, we were just in Ethiopia for like two or three weeks. We brought in like uh, 20 different games, tested it with 100 different people all over the country, uh, and uh, that was very difficult. We had translators. Uh, it was high stakes. Uh, a lot of the games we were testing were to help girls avoid gender-based violence, early pregnancy, uh, very, very high stakes. And in those cases, you can't soft-pedal. There's too much nope. on the line. <clears throat> too much so, on the line. So we're going to help you guys. I like all my stuff, which is not on that level at all, but still very important to us. But fictionally, if it's a superhero game, you know, there's that missile coming towards the city, you've got to stop it. I designed a game about a shark eating you and you tear off the limbs, and if that's not high stakes... Yeah, that, that's true. It, I'm immersed. I got, we got this. Okay, yeah. awesome. Uh, so what we're going to really do quickly is we're going to ask you guys uh, what you want out of this panel, so that as we talk... Uh, will help uh, inspire us and focus us, and then we'll take questions at the end, uh, probably like 10 to 15 minutes before it ends. So, what do you want out of this while you're here? Uh, no pressure. <laughs> uh, I'm relatively new to the whole playtesting thing, so sure. I'm looking to see what I should be expecting from playtesters. Sure. Possibly to help groom some of my friends to be better playtesters. I know you're not supposed to use friends. Oh, you you have to use friends. It's, yeah. it's unavoidable. I mean, they just can't be your only playtesters ever. Yeah, they're, they're the people you like burn through fast. <laughs> uh, what about you? Um, about to run a major playtest of a couple of major games for a major RPG company. Okay, I've awesome. Never, never done it before, and I want my results to not be garbage and instead be usable data. Awesome. And so, like, this is about results. Yes. Ego be damned. Feelings. You know, they matter, but we're going to put them aside for now. I learned very early in this industry that having a big ego means it's just going to get bruised up a lot. So I want it to be a good game, and I don't care what happens to me. You're ready for this. This is the perfect panel for you. Awesome. Do it! I want to learn... Let's see. How should I put this? I want to learn how to recover and really learn from getting everything you've worked so hard torn to shreds. As opposed to just kind of falling on the floor weeping, how to get back up and say, hit me again. Sure, sounds good. You want the ability to keep going no matter what. Yeah. Iron endurance. (laughs) Awesome. This idea is also very similar to mine. Sure. You just need to learn how to see through any of the the really heavy, heavy, heavy stuff and just try to figure out what exactly it was they had a problem with and see what I could twist around to make it. Well, that, that, I mean, that's a great point. There's yeah. a, you know, you're going to get bombarded with stuff, but that doesn't mean all of it is relevant to your game. You have to really be able to focus in and see what's really going on. Uh, we're all work- all three of us are working on the same game. So sure. Pretty much what they said. But you might have yeah. something slightly different. Um, being able to take what what we what they say and actually being able to use it to put to put it to mechanics, put it to fluff. 
connecting everything together. Sounds good. And are you guys all role playing games, board games, RPGs, RPGs, cards? cards? Okay. Play testing. Yeah. Uh, you and me. Oh, card games yeah. against the world. So, do you want to set us off? Yes. So let's um, let's establish some some ground rules about the idea in general. Where, um, like any kind of uh, you know art creation, any criticism that comes across, uh, it's not about you as a person. Why aren't you smarter and coming up with better mechanics? It's not about that at all. The criticism is should be about your game in both ways, and it's not about the playtesters being dumb. You know, some of their criticisms might be dumb, or you might want to ignore them. But it's never about taking any of it personally on in either way. And so it's important to be able to. Uh, separate those feelings uh, and you know especially in a you know game design and you're playtesting games and you're like having fun and like you can have a great session and then be like like even if you had a great session it doesn't mean it was good for the game you just might have been on fire as GM you know and again this is the thing about playing with your friends it will probably get skewed more towards the like oh I'm a you know these are people I hang out with and we tend to have a good time together you have to be able to have that critical eye and be able to be like yes that worked but it did only work because I was running it because we were playing it so awesome. those are important things to kind of to put a pin in at the very beginning and sure. it sounds like a lot of what we need to do is cover like strategies and what yeah totally I mean you want to set yourself up for success right so a lot of what we're going to talk about uh, is the process of taking the information and how to use it. But uh, the way to set yourself up for success is to set expectations of your playtesters, make it clear what you want, what you don't want, uh, really guide the conversation. And there are a lot of techniques and strategies you can use that may involve you directly being involved in something, maybe involves you sending your game off to someone else to be tested. Uh, maybe you record it, maybe you watch it. There's a lot of things that you can do and we're gonna cover a bunch of them and you guys will be ready to take it on. So do you, do you want to start with any of those like uh, um, things, like just the, the session in general, so, right? Like, uh, why don't we start with like the negative and then we can work towards the positive. We oh, can talk positive. about like mistakes. Mistakes. So, so why don't you start off with a mistake and we'll keep bouncing back and forth. Okay, so I've, uh, I've come up with a list uh, kind of on my own and as a result of playing for years of like very specific issues that... Uh, games we'll run into that um, will get ignored or won't get fixed or, or whatever. And this is like one of the, these are like really simple things you can just hone in on, but they can put up some resistance. So so I'll start with one sure, that's uh, what I call the hand slap issue. So the hand slap issue is <clears throat> when someone is playing a game and they do something during the game and it's wrong, but people keep doing it over and over and over again. Like, you know. You say, well, you draw in the middle of the turn, you know, you do something, and then you draw, and then you do something else, and, you know, as the, the card game example. What's the important thing to do is realize that you're fighting something instinctual, almost. <clears throat> you are fighting a habit, you're fighting against what people expect out of your game. So, you need to keep an eye on those and, and think, well, what can I do to make that the actual role? Because people are going to do it anyway, so why not fit that into the game? You know, like... Role-playing game example, like, you know, dice conventions and, like, the way people are used to, to building some stuff. You can still be innovative, but if it's, like, you do one thing and then you draw and then you do another thing, maybe just eliminate everything before the draw or everything after, you know, because in most games, that's, like, the start of the turn or the end of the turn, and it's not anywhere weird, right? So you, you focus on that kind of thing. We call it the hand slap issue because it's, like, someone's reaching for the draw pile and you have to go, no, stop that. <laughs> And so you want to minimize those whenever possible. And that can, like, it sounds like a small thing, but once you start honing in on those and, and train yourself to look for those things, it can trigger some, some bigger changes in your system that are often for the better. Sure. Uh, I'm going to tag that a little bit uh, as well. So uh, with that specifically, uh, it's almost like you're a scientist, right? A lot of what you're doing is you're, you, have, you, you have a hypothesis. I think this system will do these things. Uh, and you're going to test them out, and you're going to watch, right? And uh, you guys are talking about you just had one test, 
Uh, you don't want to make too many decisions just based on one test. You want to look for patterns. I love what you were just saying are patterns, Pattern right? Like you yeah. keep seeing people do similar things. Maybe it has to do with human nature. Maybe it's something that has to do with people have played a certain kind of game before and that game taught them to play a certain way. So they're bringing those things to your game. Whatever it is, if you see it coming up again and again and again, you could choose to use it. You could choose to struggle against it. Whatever it is, you need to recognize it though. So you got to play a bunch of games, you got to be a scientist, study what's happening. It's not good or bad, just note it down and keep it to go with that, right? So what I, would, uh, what I will throw in is uh, a mistake I see quite often is actually uh, playing once, having a bad situation, and changing the game completely, right? Uh, just because you had one play test and things didn't go the way you expected, you don't, still, you don't quite know exactly why it went wrong, right? Maybe it was uh, the situation, maybe it was the time, maybe people were stressed out, maybe it was the wrong players, maybe you didn't explain the rules well. Uh, who knows? There's a whole bunch of variables. Ideally, when you're testing games or testing any sort of system, uh, you want to isolate specific variables. Like, I'm not sure if this, the, the turn sequence is quite working, right? So if you're not sure that's working, change one thing about it, play once or twice with different people if you can, and see if what changes. See what happens as a result of the change you made. Don't change five things, because even if what you're doing works, you don't know which one of those five things was responsible, right? Or maybe it breaks in new ways, right? So change one thing at a time, watch, repeat, study, and see what patterns rise, note that down, and uh, don't be too hasty. Be patient with yourselves. Yeah, so going off that further, one of the things you do once you've recognized these patterns, when you say, Okay, clearly, whenever I explain this rule, everyone just is like, what, you know, even after playing a whole game and they start up again and they're like, wait, how did this work again, you know, um, and this is um, one of these times when it's like really good actually to have friends who are willing to put up with playing the same game again, even though you're like, look, I know there's still issues, but, you know, maybe some of this stuff will work this time. And so you recognize those things, and once you, you've put a peer, clear direction to what the kind of changes you need to make, like, you know, what things are problematic. Uh, look at solutions. Uh, you know, this is our style, is to take things away as much as possible. To say, uh, and really not just, like, strip stuff out, although stripping stuff out tends to be the first place you go because almost all games have too many rules. Uh, and, you know, the more, just simple fact, the more rules your game has, the more people are going to get it wrong, you know, and it's not one style is better than the other, but if you want to identify these issues, then that's what you need to go. And so after that, you can start to think like, well, what if I had one mechanic that, you know, this is what I was trying to do with these complicated rules. What if I did this thing instead that's easier and it also means I can take away this other thing, like the emergent property of making that change is, you know, these, all these other things are going to happen. Um, so, for an example, pick on my friend Brett's game. Uh, this is an awesome game about like building Roman cities that are rhombuses, and it's called Rome, R-H-O-M-E, for rhombus. Uh, <laughs> and so he, um, he had this great game, and there was this whole level of like action management, like you know you have guys who wander out to the city, and then you need to like pull them back later. And we were like, okay, really, you know, the most fun thing to do is to place these rhombuses onto the board and connect them and make structures and score them. So the idea was, okay, why don't we, you know, and, and the party was constantly struggling to explain and to get the flow of, was this whole action element to it, you know? And that was kind of the game we wanted to design, but like these patterns were emerging, like this is the thing we were, that's really cool about this game and that we wanted to keep doing. And there were like all these things getting in our way of doing that one thing. So like, well, why don't we make it just more of a tile laying game where you're just, you're basically putting these things down, you know, and, you know, you, you get different tiles and then, you know, you're placing them and trying to form these buildings. So from that, it created a very, very different game. And, you know, you're not always happy with how the game develops, but you might find a way to bring kind of them back, like, okay, now that I've, I've stripped it down, maybe, you know, I can steer it slightly towards that thing I liked in the first place. Sure, totally. And uh, to t uh, comment on that a little bit, I... Uh, it helps to have clear goals to be able to do what you're saying, right? So you need to have, state your clear goals. So what do we mean by clear goals, right? Uh, if it's a role-play game as an example, 
your goal, your mechanics are to uh, get the players to behave a certain way, right? Do you want them to feel something, right? Like maybe it's a horror game, so you want them to feel fear. Do you want them to compete with each other, right? Do you want them to fight over certain resources? Do you want them to feel like they're playing out a certain kind of genre of fiction? Whatever it might be, have clear goals, right? And once you know what those clear goals are, your rules are really there to achieve those goals. So the amount of rules that are correct are the amount of rules you need to hit that goal. Right. But if you don't have those goals, you have no way to measure which things are good or bad or to compare anything to. So, um, do you want to say so yeah, well, let's let's dive into Kill Your Darlings then. Oh, cool. Uh, just let me add one thing because okay. this actually would tie really well to Kill Your Darlings. Okay. Uh, so, uh, there's a book I highly recommend. Uh, there's a book called You Are Not So Smart. Right? So, uh, this book, You Are Not So Smart, talks about how human beings, uh, their perception is not always reality, right? So uh, perception is not always reality. Let me give you an example from playtesting. Uh, uh, I record a lot of sessions of playtesting, and it's something we'll probably talk about a little bit soon, uh, which shows interesting things. So I've seen situations where, let's say we're playing for three hours. You're playing for three hours, uh, and I've seen situations where people had a terrible time. They were having a horrible time for two and a half of those hours. But then for whatever reason, the last half hour is quite fun. And then you do get your playtest feedback, and they're like, this game was great. And yeah. you're like, listening to the thing, and they're like, they had a horrible time for those two and a half hours. And I've seen the opposite, where people were having an amazing time, but for whatever reason, that last ten minutes wasn't so good. And they're like, this game is terrible. I'm like, you had so much fun when we listened back to it. Uh, the same thing is true for you, right? When you're talking about looking for patterns... Uh, look, trying to decide which rules are servicing your goals and which rules are not, which will tie into what you're about to say. Uh, you can't always trust your perception either. So the more that you can get an objective view of what you're doing, the better. So how do you do that? You can record your session so that you have a record that you can look at before. You can ask one of your friends not to play and not to run, just to observe and take notes as we're all doing things. Uh, do whatever you can to get an outsider's perspective. So let's go to Well, one. yeah, and along those lines, you need to develop a, a designer, artist brain about these things in that it's not about, you know, did people have fun, which obviously is a very important thing in, in most games, right? Um, but more about did this hit the goals and expectations I set for myself? Is this doing the work that I need? So Kill Your Darlings is probably a cliche you've heard before that often applies to fiction, but uh, you can get attached to a single mechanic that you think was the most brilliant thing in the world, and it's in this game, but what's, uh, what you really need the designer brain for is to tell you this isn't serving my goals. It probably is a brilliant mechanic, and you will probably find a home for it somewhere, someday, in some fashion. But you really need to be able to assess those things to be able to say, like, is this really getting me towards... The, the goal of the game, is it contributing directly or is it just like, I have this neat mechanic in here and it's just kind of in here and it doesn't fit with other things. You know, it's one of these things where you have a play test, you just try taking it out, you try the simpler version, you know, you try something more streamlined and if you find that the game, you know, even if it just functions like the same with a much simpler rule, you're probably better off progressing that way. Now, if you take it out and like, ah, oh, everything's ruined, you know, then... Maybe you start to think, okay, you know, how can I more tightly integrate this? But then you work the opposite direction. You start again with the mechanic and you say, what can I do with this interesting kind of thing that I'm doing? Sure. And um, so has anybody not heard of the game Settlers of Catan? Okay, so Settlers of Catan uh, helped uh, rejuvenate the whole board game scene, introduce the whole category of Euro games and so on and so forth. Uh, the a designer who made that game originally, there's a bunch of uh, add-ons to that game, like there's uh, Cities and Knights and a bunch of other stuff, right? Uh, there's like two or three, maybe more. And uh, not, those are not popular as popular as a base game, give or take, because uh, they add a lot of complexity and so on and so forth. Apparently, uh, the designer, the first version of Settlers of Catan they made included all those additional sets in one big, giant, massive game. Right? So the people looking at it were like, whoa, this is like lots of brilliant stuff going on, but it's just way too much. Right? So to show you as an example, even that designer who's like a really, brilliant person and that's one of the most successful games ever, they had to kill their darlings. Right? They had to look at that and say, okay, how do I do exactly what Dave is saying, which is simplify, simplify, simplify. And there's a couple of 
And you, it can get very emotional, right? Like people are like, they don't want to let go. And there's things you could do to help, right? Uh, there's the whole idea of iterative process, right? You keep iterating, you make a change, uh, you see how it works, you make a change, so on and so forth. What helps with that is to save your work, right? Have backups, date it. Note uh, with every version of your rules what was changed. Because the thing is, what's the big deal if you make huge sweeping changes if you could always just go backwards and like retrieve the last version of it? You should feel totally cool making any change. In fact, if there's any rule that you're so in love with where you, that you can't even consider changing... Keep it. Keep somewhere. Yeah, keep it somewhere. <laughs> but that might be something that you want to look extra close at because maybe you're a little too attached. So I know some people, and you were talking about the uh, design by simplification, I know a lot of people will say they'll put lots of different rules, they'll play, and then before they get to the point where they're, they decide what's working and what's not working, they'll say, okay, this seems like a pretty good uh, experience, but which rules are actually making this happen? So they'll take a rule out, try it again. Okay, yeah. it's still working really well. Take a rule, get out, try it again. It's still working really well, right? And you just keep doing that so you figure out what is making this work and what's simply bloat, right? What's simply in my way? What's fat I can trim out? And you're not losing anything because you have all this saved. So I would call that one of the cornerstones of playtesting brutally is to be able to look at a game and no matter how much is in it, be able to look at a game as a playtester, you know, and, and this can be including the designer, you know, looking at it from the playtester point of view, being able to point and be like, the game is about that, or this is the fun activity at the core of this game. And there will often be other parts of that game that exist that might still work together. But if you can't answer that question of like, which part of this game is the thing, the feel, you know, the, the story, whatever, um, if you can't point to that, then there's a more deep issue or there might be too much going on and you need to, you know, when you're going through the playtesting process, be able to point. And even if it's like totally different than what you thought, you're like, oh, this is going to be like a drafting game with, you know, all these different dice and the other stuff. And you start playing and people are like, oh, well, you know, the, the part where I rolled the dice was really fun, you know. Like being able to lift that and do something else with it, and even if you're leaving this other stuff behind, I think is a very good path to pursue a lot of the time. Totally. Uh, the, I, I want to kind of mention something about uh, managing your playtesters, but maybe yes. this is not the time to do that. What would you suggest? Uh, playtesters is a big issue. We, okay. can, we can go into it now. Great. Yeah, sure. So uh, I want to talk really quick about managing uh, playtesters. Uh, I've done a lot of that. Uh, I've done that so far here at this convention. Uh, I just playtested it for our LARP. Uh, in that game... Uh, I've, I also watch other people play tester games, and I've seen a lot of people make the same mistake again and again. So what is that mistake? The mistake is the game is done, uh, and the, uh, the, the person running the game, the designer, sits down and says, okay, everyone, what do you think? You've already failed. Yeah. You've already failed. That is, like, as a game designer sitting in other people's games, even as a GM sitting in other people's games that they're GMing, when someone, like... What did you think? Like, it puts me on the spot. I hate that. It's like... Well, I mean, and also, like, you're not... You have no idea what's about to happen. You don't know how people are going to influence each other. You don't... Sometimes... It also depends on the person, right? Some people uh, will start saying negative things just to say negative things so they can give you feedback. Other people are designers themselves, so they start telling you stuff about the game they secretly want to design in their heads. you got to be careful. Like, why are people saying the things that happens saying? a lot. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot, especially these sort of events. Uh, so... What I tend to do is, uh, actually, let me take a quick step back. The other problem that I see work, uh, leading up to this is people uh, will offer feedback as they're playing game. I don't want their feedback as they're playing game. I want it after we're done playing, right? So uh, uh, I would disagree with you. Well, and that's totally cool. Yeah. And we'll have different uh, yeah. different approaches, and you guys can uh, try them as you want. Uh, what I tend to do is I give people cards or some paper, and I say write these things down as they come to you. Uh, and that way we can go over, the, over them later. If we reach a point where the game is clearly not moving forward and there's a clear problem, uh, then I usually will stop and see what's happening. But just to take a step back, uh, in terms of the end of the playtest, what I'll say is, okay, tell me something, uh, tell me two things that you uh, liked a lot about this game and you would not want to change. You want to keep this in the game. And what that does is it keeps people focused, right? You're saying, tell me two specific things that you liked enough that you would just want to keep in this game no matter what. 
right? And they specifically say two because sometimes when you say one, people say only the obvious thing. And if you ask them to tell you two things, they'll tell you the obvious thing and then they'll really think about what else is in there, right? Another rule I'll tell people is don't comment about each other's feedback. You don't want a situation where you say, I like something, and you say you don't like something, and then you two start fighting about it. I don't care about that. Don't comment. Just tell me what each of you think. Mm-hmm. There, it's all valid. We will note all of that down. I'm not going to start debating or defending anything. That's, we're not at that point. My job is only to elicit feedback, record it, and then later I will do something with it. Same thing with uh, negative things. I'll turn to people, instead of saying, uh, you know, what did you hate? I'll be like, what two things would you change? Right? So what two things would you change? And I've gotten amazing feedback. Now, if you just say, what did you guys think? Then it just turns into this chaotic mess. Uh, so this is, this is part of the brutal part, is that you have to know, really, who to listen to and when. And, you know, that can be the same person you listen to on some things and not on other things. Like, if you get to the end of the game and... You know, it, it's both knowing your audience for the game that you want to design and knowing the audience of who you're presenting it to. So if you, you know, you're something into the game that was like, oh, I was expecting this to be a party game instead of a strategy game. I was expecting this to be like a more traditional role-playing game instead of, you know, something uh, more story-driven. Then you have to be able to filter those things. And you also, you shouldn't take everybody's feedback. Like, you know, you, you should... You should listen to it, obviously. You should process it, but don't... May, this is probably obvious, but it's worth saying that you don't need to listen to everybody's suggested changes, especially when they're just... Like, there's actually this mini-game that you've probably found in playtesters where it's like, well, I have to contribute something, yeah, so yeah. I'm going to throw out, like, the first thing that comes to my mind that's, like, the most obvious change, you know? Like, you have to be able to say, like, does that really fit into any of the other stuff? You know, what does that cause? Does this support your goals, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, the same way you're trying to decide which rules you're going to keep or change and alter, that still applies to the feedback you're getting from playtesters. Which of these pieces of feedback are, are appropriate to my goals? If someone doesn't like the fact that the game is competitive, but the point of the game is to be competitive, then that's not really useful. And I would do my best to pre-qualify who's testing the game. I wouldn't ask people who hate competitive games to play my game. If I'm running a LARP and people hate LARPs, I wouldn't ask them to play test my game, right? So you want to pre-qualify as best as possible. And people will latch on to different aspects of what you're showing off. Like they might latch on to the theme, they might uh, latch on to the mechanics, they might latch on to how pretty the components look or the names on stuff, right? So people are going to be invested in different ways, but they'll also, when they get into your game, may give you different stuff as a result. And again, it's one of those things where it could all be useful, they could all be coming in from, from different vectors, but you have to, to know when you sit down to playtest, what is it that you're actually playtesting, you know? Yeah. Because you might, like, I am fully in favor of the, like, get something to the table as quickly as possible and, you know, don't worry too much about like the the design and stuff except for what you really need to actually so it's not holding you back and so when people are like eh, you know i would move the the fonts and the, the text over here and i would change the fonts and all this other stuff like that's you know you have to say up front like this is a very rough prototype you know like the wording's not final i just wrote this and i haven't even spell checked it you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have to set expectations you right? have to set expectations and be and when people hone in on that stuff they're like uh, I would use another piece for this. It would be like, okay, when I get to that stage, I'll definitely consider that, but try to draw out the things you're actually working on, you know. And be, and be clear about what you want, too, yes. right? Like, so so there's some people who sign up to playtest games, and they're like, I'm going to playtest. I can't wait to break that game. And you're like, whoa, buddy, there isn't a lot of game yet for you to break, right? So you want to be clear. Like, we're not... And a term that I think people use often is stress test. Stress test. So we're not... Yeah doing a stress test right now. What we're doing is we want to get the basic ideas down, see what kind of uh, direction we want to go in to reinforce this theme or this idea or whatever we're trying to accomplish. We're not at the point of breaking anything. Uh, We would get to that point once we're trying to deal with math or balancing or whatever the game is. So be clear, I'm not interested in that. Play normally, uh, you know, and then we'll find out what exactly we can do with this, right? This is specifically relevant if you're running a major playtest for a major publisher. Yes. And and having a lot of groups, like with, you know, Marvel Heroic, 
you know, we got to the game to one point instead of to, like, some small number of outside playtesters and then came back and, like, there needed to be a bunch of changes. We didn't send it to, like, the 20 to 30 groups or whatever until it was ready for people to really hammer on it. You know, the wider your circle is, the more, like, the more of every kind of feedback imaginable you're going to get. So, you know, that's the stress test of, like, you know, when you're ready for that many people to hammer on it, you've got to be at that point. So I want to tag something you said a little bit earlier, which is... Uh, we were talking about patterns and looking for patterns, and you're like kind of studying this. It's like you're a little scientist in some ways, and this is your kind of playpen. Uh, I would say that even the feedback that seems uh, not useful, like sometimes you get feedback where you're like, okay, this doesn't service my goals. I still note that down, uh, even if I don't intend on using it, because if I keep hearing that same thing again yes. and again, there might be something going on that I just don't realize what it is. And I have been wrong about some of those things where yeah. someone said something, I'm like, that's, you know, in my head, <laughs> that's dumb, I'm not never going to do that. And then, like, three other people say it, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm the dumb one. Well, and you might change your mind later, right? Yeah. Like, so, and you're not going to do yourself favors if you don't note that down, because then you won't have something to go back to in reference, right? And uh, you also want to interrogate your players, right? Uh, your playtesters, right? So... It's not enough to get their feedback and guide that feedback in a very direct and specific way. You also want to understand why they're saying these things, right? Someone might be like, this game doesn't feel balanced. And meanwhile, what they really mean is, I, lo- I rolled poorly and I'm pissed off that I didn't get what I want, right? And maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. It depends on your game, depends on your goals. But the point is, you want to figure out exactly why someone's saying something. Because I found that sometimes someone doesn't really know why they're feeling a certain way. Right. You're not always... Uh, playing with game designers who have the same articulation, the language, yeah, or the same game design language that you do, uh, and really, that's you know, you need to suss out what the issue is, you know, not what they're saying. Like, if they, like balance is a great example because balance is often one of these nonsense words that people use like fifty different ways. What you really need to be like, what do you mean with that? It's like, do you mean like these specific powers you think are overly powerful, you know, overly powerful or? Uh, underpowered or whatever, and don't or, argue with them. Don't no, yeah, not at don't, all. Don't say they're wrong. But uh, you need you need to drill into what that exactly means to them, what they're trying to say, so that you can your notes can reflect like, you know, is it this power is broken, or the whole like dice rolling system is broken, or you know whatever other or this specific scenario you put us through was like too heavy handed. And, and you might even have to roll it back a little bit and say, okay. It sounded like something regarding a combat mechanic is where something might have went wrong for you or what you were discussing. How about, let me pull the dice out, let me hand you the dice. Uh, the way the procedure works works as follows. Uh, let's do it step by step. Tell me at what point you were feeling the thing you were feeling, right? Because as we go through that, they might even remember, oh, it was this specific thing that was causing the issue. And if you're going to be defensive or start arguing with people, you're, you're losing the opportunity to really dig in and find out what people really feel and what they really mean. And like Dave said, they might not have the language to describe what's actually going on, which is why you're there to help guide them to get that information out of them. Yeah, and at the same time, yeah, you never want to be straight up arguing with them, but you can also, there are... Uh, ways to defend the idea or at least you can explain this is what I'm going for with that you know maybe I'm not getting there with this specific example but you know like if you tell people like this was my goal you know that didn't get there like what do you or what do you think about that like you can ask what do you think about that goal altogether like oh sure um, you can also just Uh, ask specifically I might do that towards the end yeah, right. Like sure. I might get a lot of the. So once you feel like you've gotten a lot of the feedback from people, uh, and that you don't, you're not too worried about biasing them anymore, right? But you're not too worried about influence what things they'll tell you. Uh, you know, you've got your notes down. So great. So you're done with that phase. Now you start hitting them with questions like that, where, like, what do you even think about this goal, or what do you even think about this style of game, right? Uh, and I want to quickly add something, especially because uh, you were mentioning testing the game for a larger publisher or whatnot. Uh, there's always issues of additions and things like that, too. Sometimes people are attached to specific ideas. So someone might be like, I don't like this because it's not the thing I remember it being in some past edition, right? So you want to be careful about that, right? You want to be careful, like, are they, did they actually have these problems they're describing, or is it purely for nostalgia reasons? I've seen even people get into this problem with iterations of the same game that you're playtesting. Yes, I people really will get it. attached to things that you, like 
have decided to take out for whatever reason, you know, and it might be everyone else in the world is like, God, I hated that thing. And this one person is the one true fan of it. And they're like mad that you threw it away, you know? Well, and you could tell them, like you could show them, hey, I didn't throw it away. I saved it here in my special place, right. which is this folder, which is brilliant ideas. And you're part of that brilliance. You saw yes. that brilliance. You saw the brilliance when I was going And for. this idea it's is not so right brilliant that it's going to have its own home one day. And they're like, yay. And when that day comes, I'm going to let you know. And I'll come back to you and we're going to make this happen. Uh, really quick, do, does anybody here not know what Google Plus Hangouts is? Raise your hand. Okay, great. So Google Plus Hangouts, uh, it's kind of like Skype. It's like video conferencing. Uh, it's really a lot of gamers have uh, mitigated or moved to Google Plus. Uh, it's not a popular social media thing. People, more people, may, way more people use Facebook. A lot of people are like, you use Google Plus? What? Uh, but uh, a lot of game designers are on Google Plus. A lot of gamers are on Google Plus. And partially... Uh, it's because you can use things like Google Hangouts to play with anybody anywhere in the world. And it has two great advantages. They're certainly not the only ones. But one is that uh, it detects who's talking. So you can have a bunch of thumbnails on the bottom of the screen. And if Dave is talking right now, it takes Dave's thumbnail and puts it in the big picture. So it kind of manages spotlight. So it's really easy to understand who's doing what, which can be very hard with other video conferencing software. The second thing it does is let you record everything. So you just simply play test with whoever you want anywhere in the world. You record it, you save it. It's just a video file. You can do whatever you want. And then there's the third feature that I love is that it integrates with Google Docs because yes. that's where I do most of my like at least conceptual design work. You know, I have it in like a long document for each game. It also lets you do like drawings and other stuff that will be saved. You know, and you'll, you know, if it's something where you like have drawn pieces or maps or whatever, you've got that forever. Then after that, it's in your your Google Drive. So it's, it integrates a lot of those tools you might be using anyway. And what's awesome about, so for my Monster Hearts uh, LARP uh, that I'm playtesting uh, at Metatopia, uh, I actually, so I, I finished the draft on Google Docs uh, on like Thursday, I think, uh, or Thursday morning, and I shared it with 20 people. I shared it with 20 people who were enthusiastic, and I gave them the ability to leave comments. And I said, hey, I said, hey leave comments, uh, let me know what you think, and don't worry about anything just anything you think just write it down it's not it's not a big deal and then the few people who are commenting like crazy i give them the ability to edit the document i just save a copy of it so they can just destroy it, it doesn't matter I let them edit it and i'm like hey if you see like grammar mistakes or you see anything that's really obvious just start changing the hell go to town do whatever you want if you get like i have some friends who are math teachers right so if you're working i mean obviously this was a lark i was talking about but if i'm working on a card game and uh, the balance of the mechanics are very very important uh, and I have a friend who's really obsessed with that. And they're like, this isn't optimized. I'll be like, great, buddy. Use that enthusiasm. Give them access to it and let them go wild. You can't hurt anything because you have your version saved somewhere. Right. Uh, and that's something where I like, you know, um, this is something about playtesters, but also the playtesting process. And that, you know, there's like phases of, of playtesting I go through where a lot of it, um, because I have a design group with other game designers and we work well together, like they're all they're my initial guinea pigs for um, for testing the stuff initially, working out the bugs, and getting the game to a point where I'm more ready to to go outside that group. And I know that you know it's um, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody because you know just because I, I have this group and if you, you know you're not fortunate enough to do that, then you might move to other groups of friends or, or selectively invite people if you need to or that kind of thing. Um, because you know there's a difference between like People who want to play your game and playtesters. Yeah. So the people who want to play your game want to win. You know, they, they want to experience the full game. Whereas playtesters have to be able to say, like, this isn't working at all. Let's stop halfway through. And let's restart and do this other thing. Or even, we're halfway through, and yes, this gives you a huge advantage, but we're going to change this one rule going forward and see how it goes just to, to play the game. So it's less about the game itself, but, you know, working directly on the game. Uh, is kind of the difference between those two groups. And, I mean, Google Plus allows you to tap into a wide variety of players that can play test your game. So some people will be the people who just want to play your game. Some people will be the people who want to play test your game. And then one thing I see people do a lot is uh, if for whatever reason, let's say you're having difficulty finding people, uh, you can barter services. So you can say, I will play test your game if you play test my game. Right? Yep. And then that's a really good way of making connections, making friends, figuring out who's really reliable, who's not, and so on and so forth. And so from there, you kind of expand out. And 
you know, send it to more and more people and get more wider feedback because then you you have you have an actual game to play to, to have people play, right? You don't just have an idea that needs workshopping. And so you're testing these kind of edge cases. You you know, this may be the, the realm of surprise tests or reactions or, or more specific items versus, you know, just saying, here's my first draft, everyone check it out and tell me what you think. And then you get people who get attached to specific things or whose first impression is bad and never want to come back and, you know, they won't be interested later, all that stuff. So you work kind of out as you get more and more comfortable with how solid the game is. It also gives you a chance to, like, take that game and be like, this isn't working at all, throw it on a shelf and work on something else. And, you know, the population as large is never the wiser. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in the case where you're working with outside companies, uh, with that NDAs might be a thing, right? Let, let's say the company you're working for, they're like, you can only use certain people to play test or whatever, right? Like, it just depends. Uh, even in Google Docs, uh, there's, uh, like, apps where there's, I think they have a, a document signing app or something that you can uh, add. So you can go onto Google Hangouts, uh, load in the document signing, load up the NDA, and have people sign that thing right then and there, right before you're about to play. So, you know, you're pretty much good uh, in any kind of situation you want to deal with. Um, I kind of want to talk, and it might not be time for this, but you let me know. I want to talk about... Uh, a thing that even people who get all the stuff we just talked about, often people fail at realizing that it's not enough to play test your game design, you have to play test your game text. Yes, that's very important. Um, Should we hold off on that? Or no, we... uh, we've got like 15 minutes. So. Okay, great. So uh, let me give you a quick example. Uh, we were on a panel where people were talking about uh, how to write chapters for uh, GMs or hosts or the people running the game, or whatever. And a lot of the people who write these chapters are uh, the game designers themselves, right? And not all game designers are good people at running games. A lot of game designers are terrible at running games, actually, I found. Uh, and what's funny is, they you know they feel the system is down, and they write this text, but then they don't show that text to people who would be actually running the game, right? So if that's the people it's for, show it to the people who are actually going to use it and elicit their feedback, right? So... Uh, it's, it, it doesn't matter if your rules are amazing and perfect. If your text does not convey properly that information to the people, they're never going to know what those rules were, and they're never going to be able to actually use them in play. Yeah, so there's this, uh, if you're not familiar with the term, there's blind play testing, which is you, you know, you're not there in the room, or you know you are, but you're like off to the side, you're the, lurking. The, the, yeah. You're the little thumbnail on Google Hangouts, you're right. not saying anything. You're behind like a one-way mirror or something. Uh, and you just give them the rules and the box and the components and be like, can you figure this game out? You know, and I think that is super important before launch. Like, uh, like try to get to that point, but make sure that's done. You know, and it's not always like, you know, major changes to your text. Sometimes it is, and you have to be ready for that. And but, sometimes minor things can have big impacts. Yeah, exactly. Just it gives you that kind of like one more check of, you know, I didn't think of this and. I want to springboard off one concept from that, which is something we call the play cool fallacy, where there's a problem in your game, and um, you sort of recognize it as a problem, but your answer to it is putting in the rule book, don't do that. Like, be cool, guys. Like, don't <laughs> exploit that. I can't think of any game that has that. No, not at all. Um, so it's very important, and this is something that blind testing, if you have brutal playtesters especially, will tell you, like, no, you just need to fix that. <laughs> you just need to take that out. Or just rule zero, right? Just be like, just change it, whatever. Oh, yeah, rule zero. Like, totally change whatever rules in your RPG because it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> rule zero is kind of like a, a weird edge case between, but That's like, true. very specifically, like, if your rule is, like, don't do this specific thing, then really you need to step back and figure out like, how do we change So a uh, part of the um, one thing that I, a lot of people have done is uh, you're very familiar with your game, right? You're very familiar with the game, you wrote it, you designed it, so on and so forth. Sometimes you take for granted what you're actually doing when you're running your game. Right? So you might be running your game and you may not realize that you're doing X, Y, and Z that helps make this game happen. Right? So in those situations, it's really useful to have an outside observer watching what you do and making sure that that is actually in your game text. Yes. So one thing I've seen people starting to do is they will record themselves running the game for someone, and then they will have someone else 
look through that recording, take notes, and compare it to your actual game text. And you're like, whoa, you did these five things that were huge that are not even mentioned. Yeah, there's a, there's a trend in a bunch of games I've seen lately that's like the director's commentary boxes in the rules text themselves, where it's like, this isn't a rule, but this is something I've observed about this, or a way to make this work, or, you know, like examples or something you should have anyway, but like a very specific, like, you know, this is here because this, like some way to directly communicate, like, this is why this is here, and, and this is why it's important. And so in, um, in like an RPG text, that can often be more of like a direct, more casual voice of like, these are the choices I've made. This is why it's here. In card games and board games and whatnot, you get more example type stuff. But it's like very, like if you have that kind of thing, it's very helpful examples usually. Like you know, this is a confusing rule, or it can be difficult to wrap your head around the first time. So here's an example that I'm going to use to absolutely hammer this home. Maybe I have like three examples so that you see it in different contexts. Whatever it takes to drive that home. That in person, if you were teaching the game, you'd be like, okay, this is kind of a weird rule. You know, um, here's why. Sure. You'd say it. Well, just put that in your text, right? Yeah, give two examples of how to do it. Give an example of how not to do it, so that way you get it from both sides. And uh, throw a frequently asked questions uh, section in there to uh, basically address anything that comes up. How much time do we have? Uh, like 10 minutes. Should we take questions? Let's take questions. Let's take some questions. Uh, anybody have questions, raise your hand. Oh, I know you've got Kai's questions. Bam. So you're going to wind up, no matter how you slice it, with a finite number of playtesters, particularly if you're not playtesting for a big company. Sure. So how do you how do you use your resources, your playtesters, so that you're getting the most out of them without burning them out? Uh, I mean, like, so can you give me a, an idea of number, like in terms of how many playtesters? Uh, let's say I wrote Lisa's role-playing game, which I did not. Sure. Um, <laughs> and let's be optimistic and say I can draw on 15 playtests. Sure. This so, is optimistic. Sure. So let's say 15. Uh, I would figure out at the start, right? We're not talking about this is what you're doing throughout the entire process, but at least at the start, I would figure out what the minimum number of players are. So let's say you can play the game with three players. If the minimum number of players is three players, that means out of those 15, you can get five groups. Right? So if you can figure out what the minimum number of players are, you can break those people up in a way that you can get multiple people testing this. And what I would do is I would not get them all testing it at the same time, I would phase it in. Right? So the people, group one who is playing an early draft, uh, don't give them draft two. Let draft two go to one group, draft three to go to the other group, and so on and so forth. And if you don't have enough people where you have to reuse that initial group, at least reuse them at the point where enough has passed that it almost feels like it's a new game again for them. Or you have like a, like a level two of playtesters where the people who are willing, even if they weren't the people who, who super enjoyed it but are like, I would play this again you know, yeah. more times, like pull those out from the people who just like, you know, didn't give you anything useful or just are already burned out or not interested. You know, Like with a pool of that size, I think you'd be able to get like at least another phase out of it, and then you yeah. start exploring some of these other things, like, you know, trading with other designers running over the... Yeah, internet, I was going to say that, too. Like, go to, like, story-games.com, say, hey, I'm willing to design XYZ types of games, I'm sorry, uh, playtest XYZ types of games uh, in exchange for people who would want to playtest my XYZ games. I do say anything at Google+, Plus, but I would do that at the point where you've already, like, you know, used your friends a bit, uh, gotten a sense of what's working, because... When you go to people you don't know, they're going to be a little bit less tolerant uh, for rules that might not be so clear. I mean, they'll know that some stuff won't work because it's a play test, but you want to get to the point where you've ironed out a couple things. And this is one of, like, so many things, you know, that, that meeting people and networking and whatnot is good so that you can reach out to those people even if they don't live anywhere near you later. Or, you know, if you know enough people on social media and just throw out, like, Hey, I need, you know, anyone interested in checking this out, I can send you the rules, you know, if you need, I can print off the cards and ship them to you, or, yeah. you know, send you the manuscript, whatever, um, and work out that way that you're able to, to extend your reach of people who are interested. Um, I've even seen uh, uh, programs that are like pen pals for games, where it's like you send your game to one person who's in the program, and then that person sends their game on someone else, and so it, you know, moves it around the country with willing play testers. Sure, cool. Other questions? Earlier on you said um, that if you go through one play test and something doesn't work, to not just completely change everything after just that first test. Mm -hmm. What if um, 
you weren't even able to get around to that first step. The game couldn't start without sure. a whole lot of extra stuff that you didn't realize was going to be necessary for it. Sure. Well, you're going to have to basically take a step back from everything else that I would say uh, and re I would say in that case, so just to reiterate what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's an example where it's not like you were able to play the whole game and there were parts where you're like, I don't know how this works, I don't, I don't know how that works. It's a situation where you're playtesting and gets to the point where it just breaks and you can't actually even continue, right? So if that's the situation, uh, what I would do is I would spend a little bit of extra time to try to identify what exactly broke so hard that caused the game to stop moving, right? And it helps to record and so on and so forth, uh, just so you can really, really identify that. And then I would try to really do your best to zone in and fix the absolute minimum you think that will be able to help the game to move forward. Now, if it's such a big break that that's not possible, I would uh, try to fix two things, maybe three things, but keep it as minimal as possible and ask yourself what exactly is happening. Don't make assumptions. Is it the way I explained this? Maybe the rule works, but maybe I explained it poorly. Or maybe it doesn't fit with the goals at hand and it's breaking some sort of expectations. Really analyze what's exactly happening before you make too many changes. It's, it's like being a scientist, you have to isolate your variables and you change one variable. And, you know, like I, I rarely will play a playtest twice in a row of exactly the same game. I will often tweak at least something minor each time. Yeah. But if you're like, what if we have more cards in the deck, and what if we change how many you draw? Like, that's two pretty major things. You can try one of them, you know, that sounds more interesting, and then if that's working, try the other thing, and then maybe you come back. But you have to know what's causing the changes, you know, to the game when you make a rules tweak. You have to know which one of the things you're working on is doing it. And the uh, uh, thing that, to go off that, too, is uh, I find that uh, another common mistake people make is that they try to run their playtest the way they would run any game. Uh, but you're not running any game, you're doing a playtest. So what I mean by that is, maybe for this to be a fruitful playtest, all you have to test is your character creation or your card drafting rules. You don't necessarily have to play the whole game, right? Like, nail down that first part, nail down step one, keep testing that. I, and obviously there are a lot of games where you're not going to know if step one fully worked until you got to step five because of the way they interact. That's fine. Get it as far as you can, and that way you're dealing with manageable chunks. I, I think that's an important point of, like, if character creation is intended to be a fun part of your game, it, you should be able to just test it on your own, right? And you should just be able to, like, make characters, and if that's fun enough, then cool, I can see if those characters then play off the rest of it. Or, you know, and likewise, oh, I want to see if the rest of the game works. I'm just going to make some characters that follow the parameters pre that I want to test, you know, pre-gen and just hand them out. And later on, you can put it all together. Or if character creation is not really, like, a big part of your game, you know, if it's just something you, you go through a couple steps, then you can probably put them both together. But, you know, if it's something that is intended to be meaty enough on its own, then it really is something that you should consider running by itself. Yeah, and it lets you isolate, focus in, and the more you can focus and isolate, uh, the easier time you're going to have to make decisions about what really needs to change and what's okay. Yep. Questions? Awesome. Well, I hope that was helpful for you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't too brutal. I feel like we should uh, pro yeah. wrestle now. <laughs> Throw chairs into the audience. Yeah, dodge these chairs. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you.